Welcome to the Pastors Podcast. This is Pastor Scott, and with me today are Stephen and Alina Sato. Hi, everyone. Hello. And excited to get to ask you guys a few questions about what this year has been like, how God has been working. I I think your you two as individuals and your family uh, has had a, a a really unique vantage point. <laughs> on uh, everything that has happened on kind of the, the, the tumults, the ups and downs, the um, everything that's taken part this year, but both as a part of our church family, but also in our larger community in the city. Why don't we start out by just allowing you to, for, for those that don't know you, allow you to introduce yourself a little bit, a little bit background about maybe how long you've been a part of Cornerstone, um, maybe each of your, your family, each of your respective professions. Um, who wants to start? Sure. Uh, for well, be, to begin with, I need to make a disclaimer about my voice. I lost my voice about 15 years ago. No reason why, but uh, ever since then, yeah, I've had issues. So if you can't hear me, that's probably the reason why. So in terms of uh, about us, yeah, we've been here at Cornerstone for about five years. We love it here at this church. Uh, previously, uh, previous. Experience. I was a pastor of a church for about 13 years. Uh, I stepped away from that, got back into a job that I had previous to that, uh, which was working for the health department. So I am a environmental health specialist, and I am our department. We're the people, they know us for being the people who give out letter grades. We're the people who inspect restaurants and housing and so that's what I've been doing for the last five years, and I love my work. So it, it's actually a, a famous uh, a famous memory in our house, Stephen, when you had, I don't know if you remember this, but you had some extra letter grades that and I just needed to like get tossed or something, and so you gave them to me. Yes. Um, and they were like, you know, they were, yeah, they were not something you could like use, but so I, I, uh, I went home and I posted them on my kid's do- bedroom doors. <laughs> so I was like, no, the health department says it is not good enough in here. <laughs> you, get a, you get a C. They said, no, you know, you don't get an A. I would like to put an A on you. So anyways. <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, what about you, Alina? Yeah, I'm Alina. Uh, well, with our family, we have two girls in our home. Carissa is seven. She is in second grade this year. And then Kayla is five and she's in kindergarten this year. I am a pediatric ICU nurse. I have been a, we call it a, a PICU nurse. So I've been a PICU nurse for 10 years. This was actually a second career for me. Prior to this, my background was in public health. And so I used to do research in nursing homes, looking to improve quality of care, quality of life for the frail elderly. Hmm. So the other end of the age spectrum, but it was through that, that it made me actually want to be at the bedside. So I became a nurse and uh, have always been in the PICU. I love the focus of just one to two patients at a time. Um, there's such a broad range of patients, anywhere from respiratory infections like COVID to kidney transplants to car accident victims to um, cancer kids who get especially sick and just need much uh, more focused monitoring. So we get a lot of really, really interesting cases. Uh, I love the depth of issues. Very challenging, very rewarding, and everything in between. Yeah. I 
I'm fascinated about the transition from one kind of uh, end of the life spectrum to the other. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to talk about this some other time. Not today, but um, I have so many questions. So, but you, so both of you um, have spent the last year really on the front lines of the pandemic, both at a hospital and as a part of the health department, um, all the while with a couple of elementary schoolers, including a kindergartner starting elementary school this year. Um, But what has the experience of being on? you know, what people have been calling the front lines of the pandemic. What's that experience been like for each of you? Well, I think for me, um, you know, prior to to COVID, we were, you know, our work has typically been very busy, just dealing with housing and food inspections. And then when COVID hit, we were suddenly thrust into chaos. We were suddenly the health experts on people of all industries. And, we're, and so the department rushed to get all these protocols set up for pretty much any kind of public and private industry. And we were put into the position of uh, regulating everything from like churches to regular food, to schools, to doctor's offices, uh, playgrounds. And so it was very, it was very chaotic at first. Um, it was um, nerve-wracking because, you know, we heard all the, the news reports about how easily COVID could be spread. And so there was this fear of, of being in, in a work environment with each other, not knowing who's safe, who's not safe, going out into industry and being among people. There was that side of it. And then there's also, I think, about the people that we the, we interact with. Uh, for us as, as inspectors, people have their normal responses. People who are not in, uh, you know, restaurants, whatever, they're like excited and they think we have the coolest job in the world. Mm. Uh, but people who are, you know, restaurant owners, they we get a variety of, of responses from people who are glad to see us to, to people who are very angry because of what we do. So when COVID hit, uh, what we noticed is that uh, the emotional responses of everyone was much more extreme. Mm. We came across a lot of people who were very afraid of not only their health concerns, but afraid of losing their jobs, of losing their businesses, which many have. Uh, <clears throat> there are people who are much more defensive and uh, and came across, yeah, we've come across a lot of people who are very, very angry. Mm very defensive of, uh, yeah, been very defensive. And so that's been very challenging for us. Mm. Yeah. And to, to all these people in all these different industries, you, you've served the last year, your department served the last year as the messengers, right? As <laughs> of the ones delivering the news and the messengers and the enforcers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what a unique and uniquely difficult, uh, role to fill and and even just to see that anger frustration even despondency Mm -hmm. right kind of up front in ways that i think you know some of us read news stories about (laughs) but um i've seen that on a day-to-day basis and for steve too i think he he got 
what I feel like was some of the more extreme situations yeah. because there were the sort of the frontline health inspectors who would go to restaurants, but it would be the situations where the business operators would say, I want to talk to your supervisor. And that would be Steve. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. it would get escalated to him and he would be taking on the most heightened responses or phone calls would go to him, you know, people pleading, please don't shut us down. And, and he, I remember him telling me, you know, they, they had legitimately extremely stressful situations. Mm. Like I'm going through a divorce. I'm going to, it's just going to be me as a breadwinner. I really need you to not shut my place down. And he would just say, I don't make the rules, but check back tomorrow because things are changing so fast. Mm. If you just even call tomorrow, maybe it'll be different for you. Mm. And he really, he really bore a lot of other people's burdens, I yeah. would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was that experience like for you, Alina? So for us as a, a children's hospital, you know, we were, we were fortunate enough overall to not have been hit as hard, nearly as hard as the adult facilities. Yeah. And that in, an, that in and of itself, I think, was just a sliver of mercy that mm. for all the trauma that we saw in adults, that it didn't hit our littlest ones that same way. Yeah. Um, so we were really, really grateful for that on many levels. I think when we first started to realize that this virus was something to take very seriously, then we saw the hospital really scramble to, um, just like everyone, right, changing protocols and trying to figure out what's the best and safest way to deal with the situation. Because while it always seemed pretty clear that it wasn't quite hitting kids the same way, we still never knew who was bringing the virus in and kids come in with their parents. And so mm -hmm. you don't know with all the traffic that's coming in, who's, who's, who's got it. And so there, we never, we never felt like we were in dire um, lack of PPE and that part was really a blessing, but we definitely had to figure out, you know, uh, a lot of new ways of doing our practice, whether it was, okay, we bring in a patient who we who may or may not have COVID. And so suddenly, instead of having a whole team there to help assess and care for the patient, we would try to minimize the number of people who could go into a patient room. Mm. So one person would go in with this kind of astronaut-like <laughs> mm. jumpsuit, you know, to um, keep the own air, their own air that they were breathing clean and they would go in there and do as much as they could with maybe one or two other people but if we needed supplies or if we needed help for more of an emergency we'd be pounding on the <laughs> door from the inside of the room and just you know gesturing at each other from inside the room or writing on whiteboards you know this is what i need mm. and it just it it made uh for our basic care for our patients much uh much more disjointed much less personal, um, and just there was a heightened anxiety for sure amongst us about getting this virus. And some some coworkers did get it. That mm -hmm. was, uh, and thankfully most, they, they got through. Um, some had a pretty rough go, but it was hard to see each other starting to also get quite ill with it at times. Mm -hmm. And also, yeah, like Steve's situation, working together and not knowing you know, who might be carrying it. Um, 
Yeah, and, and and neither of you having the option to, oh, I'll just, you know, hole up at home and do everything from here. Like you can't yeah. do your jobs yeah. uh, that way. And it must have been both, I, I mean, just imagine it's both being traumatic for, I mean, you see the, the levels of it because it's both traumatic for business owners. It's traumatic for patients yeah. and their families. The extra, the, the difficulty, the, you know, yeah. having a nurse walk in, in a astronaut suit, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, and also then, though, traumatic for the inspectors, mm-hmm. traumatic for the, the hospital staff, right? Uh, traumatic for the, the, the nurses and doctors and just, just navigating all of that together. I mean, where, whether it was personally in seeing each other go through this, navigate this, personally as you were navigating all of this with your daughters as well, mm-hmm. um, or professionally, um, how has this year been particularly difficult? Like what, what were some of the, I don't know, I, you shared a little bit of it, but what, what were some of the just kind of unique struggles for each of you? I think for me, uh, um, I'm a fairly quiet person. And I think I internalize a lot of my insecurities, a lot of my fears. Uh, during most of the year, uh, I spent every night watching uh, watching news, watching CNN, and I think that just it, you know, accentuated a lot of the fears mm. that I had because you know they talked about a lot of the extremes of people getting ill and and so um, one of the ways that I I try to deal with that is to stay busy doing something, and so uh, something I did was I would uh, I spent a lot of time just. Doing projects, hmm. yeah. But people see my Facebook books. I basically built everything I could, <laughs> and uh, I mean that was good for me. But then, and but there was a time that the the there was a social unrest, mm-hmm. and then uh, that triggered a lot of fears. Also, I remember um, being outside and trying to escape. You know, doing my projects and. We lived next to the freeway, and I heard the sound of the, you know, the sirens going up and down 405. Mm. Uh, I was around uh, when I first uh, started working for the department years ago. I was very close to where the Rodney King riots broke out, and so I was in that environment during that time. And so I remember just having kind of this little crisis of insecurity, not knowing, you know, what's going on, and just all these all this sorrow for, for a community. And, and so I think that was a big moment for me just to take a step back and to, to think about where does, where does my hope really come from? And, mm. and so even though my heart wasn't there, you know, I was reminded of, of God's word and uh, the call to trust God and to have faith in them. And I think it was a process for me that I'm still learning, but, it, but I think that was good for me to go through that experience because mm. I was trying so hard to escape what was going on in my heart and I needed to be confronted in that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We resonate with that. What about you, Alina? There were, there were a good number of challenges for sure. One was definitely just seeing a lot of my own vulnerability as a nurse in a new way. Um, I think there's a an easy temptation for a lot of healthcare practitioners to fall into, and it's why they say a lot of us make the worst patients, <laughs> mm-hmm. because I think there is 
this comfort and confidence that we have of being the caretakers and being sort of the strong ones that go to help everyone else. But we're fine. You know, we, mm. we're, we're terrible patients because you know what? I'm fine. I'm sure whatever, <laughs> whatever's going on with me, it's not a big deal. Um, and I think that as we began to realize how much anxiety really was present and in, re in just the way that we went about our work and our fear of, um, our initial fear before we all started to get vaccinated of taking care of uh, COVID patients or finding out that maybe their parent was positive a day or two afterwards and mm -hmm. thinking back a lot on what was my interaction like? Was I well protected? Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of that vulnerability that really came out. And I think also, you know, for our family too, just thinking about how do we go to these places of work and, you know, all this exposure and come home and try to keep our kids safe and stay calm for them and um, keep all the germs <laughs> separated <laughs> somehow. Um, I think one of the other things too was that for all the intensity of the things that we see in nursing, even prior to COVID, you know, we already saw just a lot of trauma and tragedy and uh, really hard things. And I think before COVID, there were a lot of systems and coping mechanisms and things that um, I had set up that I know coworkers had set in place to deal with the hard things that we see at work. Yeah. And all of that, right, just got completely disrupted because mm. of um, because of the pandemic, whether it was just um, being able to go somewhere to escape or um, having people to help with the kids so that I could have some more alone time to process. Um, all of that was just completely turned on its head. And I think it made me realize that even as the pandemic was was taking away all of these systems and coping mechanisms that I had in place, it made me realize that I really hadn't been going to the Lord all that much with the hard stuff that I wrestled with at work, mm. that I really depended a lot on those, those external things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's not to say that they don't have their worth. It's not to say that, you know, taking a break or going on vacation or finding alone time. It's not to say that those don't have worth, but it really revealed how much I kept trying to grasp at those mm. <laughs> before I would just go to the Lord and really bring my heart to him. Um, I think the last really big thing that hit, particularly in the last few months, started to get a little bit better once we got vaccinated, but it was still pretty hard. Um, was just pure burnout um, because work had been at operating at such an intense level. And then the girls were home <laughs> mm -hmm. all the time and managing um, all their needs with school and everything. And uh, I just saw that I has I had put so much pressure on myself to be a high performer in every area of my life, mm. that despite all the pressures and stressors and extra burdens and responsibilities that I still really expected myself to 
perform very, very well in every area. Mm. And it was just driving me to the ground. And I mm. just really kind of hit a point of burnout. And um, and that it, it made me edgy. It made me at times despair. Um, and and I, it really pushed me to a point where I saw, and even people lovingly in community groups saw, you know, maybe it's time to actually seek, seek some counseling mm. or uh, find some ways to deal with uh to deal with this burnout. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it from both of you. Cause I hear, right. Are just those themes of insecurity of vulnerability that has been heightened. And then, and then ultimately kind of through all that, the, the exhaustion, um, that, that comes after a prolonged series season of that heightened, uh, tension, heightened, uh, difficulty heightened insecurity heightened vulnerability um and and i don't want to simply wallow on that but i think it, it's important for us to to recognize it to to call it to to recognize both our need for god and our need for others in whatever form whether it's counseling care right help um there's all sorts of ways and avenues that the lord uses to help us navigate through through that, um, but also to to teach us in the midst of it. And I don't, it doesn't bring these things so that we'll learn a lesson. It's not that, that simplistic. But at the same time, in the midst of it, one of the powerful ways he does redeem it is by mm -hmm. teaching us through it, by seeing his presence in the midst of it. Um, how in the midst of all of that difficulty and vulnerability and insecurity and even exhaustion how how did each of you how ha have each of you seen the lord's hand or seen the lord's working in the midst for me a theme that i've been thinking about a lot is um how do i show god's love to the people around me mm. to my co-workers who you know are out in the field and put in uh unknown situations to the people that call were desperate and people that call were angry. How do I show, how do I show love to these people? And I had this, uh, what I would call a God experience, um, that really, uh, helped me to process a lot. Um, you know, as, as an essential worker, uh, I was required to work at the, at the forum at the vaccination pod for five days. And I just had this one experience where just to set it up is, um, my job was to, um, while I was there, was to screen people mm -hmm. who uh, come in, uh, came in for, for vaccinations. I guess part of the early thing was, uh, uh, you know, healthcare workers and and uh, seniors. And this is one day um, I was screening, and there was this older couple that, that came in, and um, they're in their 80s, and and so I just had to check their ID to make sure that they're, they qualified and make sure that they had an appointment. <clears throat> and and so I talked to them. Uh, they qualified in age, but they didn't have an appointment. And my job was to turn them away because they did not have an appointment. And so I saw, you know, they came in a lake mall car. They've been married many years. And so I said, um... Uh, do you have a computer that you can 
you know, get onto to make an appointment? And they said, no, we don't have a computer. Um, is there anyone who can help you make an appointment so you can get, get in uh, to, you know, to get your shot and, you know, no, there's, so I remember feeling really bad for, for this, for this couple. And so I asked my, my supervisor at the, at the uh, vaccination clinic, is there anything that you can do? And she talked to them and she pulled them to the side, got them registered, and then was able to get them, uh, get them uh, in for their shot. And, you know, waved at them. It was really, mm-hmm. a really, uh, you know, it was really, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was really uh, a neat moment to see that. But I've thought a lot about that experience and, and this whole theme of, 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 of what is love and, and, you know, I've thought, I've looked at it from different perspectives and I think one is, um, what I would call the, 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 the Facebook, uh, perspective where, uh, you know, I shared about this and I got some likes and, um, I think, you know, from a cultural perspective, uh, we we appreciate doing nice things for other people. We appreciate acts of of service. We appreciate uh, giving to the poor. But there's something very safe about that. Mm. And I think one of the things that that I learned from that was that um, for many of us, our perspective of love is so defined by things like Facebook, by things that are popular, mm. and. Uh, you know, the scripture tells us that, that God is love, that God is 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 a very definition of love, you know, first John and and you know, expressed the gospel message, but it's God who really defines what love is. And and so I had to do a paradigm shift in terms of understanding, you know, my love has to be motivated by um by God and God's mm-hmm. word. I've thought about that that experience from the perspective of this couple, and you know, when I first told them that they couldn't they didn't qualify uh, for a shot, mm-hmm. uh, they're very accepting of it. They're like, mm. you know, they didn't say, "Okay, well, no, you're, you know, it's my right. I need to get this shot." Mm. I have a feeling they would have gone home and and just said, "You know, it wasn't our day." And so I really thought a lot about that, and just you know. Just how amazingly humble these these people were, accepting you know the system that that we have. Mm. And I also think about the perspective of of my team lead, because uh, you know when I was a, when I was a screener, uh, I was you know I had to make sure that they had the right T IT, I had to make sure that they had an appointment. And anytime we had a problem, we were supposed to go to our team lead to. Uh, you know, to see if they qualify. And most of the time she would just say no. I would ask her, no, no, no this, mm. no that, you know. But then when this kept couple came in, I explained their story to this lady. And it was, I was amazed because she had a completely different response. She talked to him for a sec. She said, we are going to get these people of that, you know, their shot, no matter what it takes. Mm. <laughs> There's a sense of anger that, no, we're going to do what's right. So she took them to the side, did the registration for them, and then got them on the way. And I remember waving at them. They're really happy to 
to go through. Mm. But it made me think about how do I approach love, loving other people? I think typically, uh, it's, again, it's easy to take kind of the Facebook approach to saying you do nice things. Mm. I think for me, typically, I tend to be very passive and trying to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I really learned from that, uh, my team lead was that love has to be very intentional, mm. very proactive. You look at the example of Christ and um, his interaction with the woman from Samaria, and he went out of his way to to minister to this woman, or or the uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. Now that person also went out of his way to care for someone who was different. Mm. So for me, I've, I've been trying to take that to work, mm. to be very proactive and uh, pursuing my coworkers, making sure they're doing okay, encouraging them when they're discouraged. Mm. I started dialoguing with a lot of these operators, some of whom I had uh, conflicts with. Mm-hmm. It's neat because I've been able to develop a trust with them. So now when they have problems, they come to me, they ask their questions. You're talking about like like restaurant operators and things like that? Yeah, business, restaurant operators, business owners, Uh uh, people who are very discouraged. I started emailing and communicating with them and just telling them to hang in there. But I think for me, that was a big paradigm shift Mm. to see how love really has to be very proactive. Mm. I, I... I appreciate that so much, Stephen. I that is really both exhorting and encouraging to me. I feel like, I feel like the Lord's been showing me in my heart too the a uh, a tendency to identify even some of the responsibilities around me as the things I need to do or I have to do. Like oh, I need to do this. Okay, I have to do this. Okay, you know what's what's next. And He's been planting this seed um, that reminds me of the privilege it is to be His hands and feet in this world right like I, the i get to mm. wait i get to wait you you've lord you've taken your your family and you have spread them out across our city and placed us specifically in relationships and in roles to be your hands and your feet and and steven sato was was placed in the health department as a supervisor in the health department you get to be mm. his representative as hands and feet in the midst of, of this crisis. And I, I, I think to your point, like that, that's not something we remember most of the time. It's easy to forget. Right. Um, but what a powerful reminder um, stemming out of your specific role. But I think one that, that reminds all of us of the, the call, not just to be kind or be nice or, you know, just give people a break as we go through, but, the, the intentionality, um, the the different kind of fill in the blank we all get to be because of Jesus. The different kind of health inspector you get to be uh, because of Jesus. That's such a such a powerful reminder. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what about you, Alina? How, how have you seen the Lord working in the midst of all of this? Yeah. I mean, before we move away from just talking about Steve's work as his mm-hmm. wife, I feel like I really just got that front row seat in seeing God. It was just so clear that God had put him where he was for kingdom purposes. I Mm. mean, you know, thinking back on how much this year was marked by 
incredible contention and defensiveness and proactive anger Mm, (laughs) Um, and fighting to see Steve be someone who did his job with integrity, but also did it with such deep compassion and Mm. humility and um, openness to the greater story of these business operators and uh, just with a spirit that was so different than what we just saw tearing the whole world apart mm-hmm. this past year. I, when he would tell me some of his stories of, of encounters with these different operators, even in the tense ones, I mean, I just felt like I kept seeing the character of Christ show through him. And mm-hmm. it was just really refreshing because I would feel worried about him <laughs> and like all mm-hmm. these confrontations yeah. that he had to do. But I think God's grace was just so at work in him and through him. And it was just a real encouragement to me to mm. see that in him. Mm. Um, well, I'd, and I'd, I'd echo that from, I think, I know that's echoed from all those that have been around you, mm. Stephen. It's um, been a blessing to see. And not, and not because you're perfect, <laughs> right? <laughs> not, because, not, not even to, to please that, like, but because the Lord's been at work. Yeah. And what a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Even if like two years ago, if somebody were like to tell you the story, you're like, no, 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 I don't want to sign up. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, what, but what a privilege to see him in the midst of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For me, um, I think that uh, as I thought about this question and preparing for this podcast, you know, what for me personally, what I wished. I could say was God was at work in me through, you know, all the fear and stress and challenges of nursing and having um, distance learning kids at home by making me just kind of um, impervious to it all. Mm. Like I was just great. Superwoman. Yeah. Yeah. I was great through it all (laughs) because, because this was God at work in me, you know, (laughs) like, and I think that shows definitely, you know, some of, a lot of my disdain for my own weakness. Mm. Um, and it also, I think, shows my limited understanding and even warped understanding at times of what it means that God is at work, mm. that God being at work is not that I was just completely untouched and unfazed by everything that went on this past year. Um, but God was at work in me because he wanted to show me how much I held onto my superhero status, mm. how much I wanted to take pride in feeling like I could keep it all together and um, high, be a high performer in everything. And when I really began to realize I couldn't and I wasn't, um, he wanted to show me that he loved me in my lowest and weakest and hardest points and Mm -hmm. that he valued me just as much and that there was just as much grace for me. (laughs) Um, He gives grace to the humble, right? Mm -hmm. And he wanted to show me my pride so that he could free me of it and heal me of it and help me understand his love and his grace in a different way. And it was something that I just, I needed to hit some pretty low points to really begin to grasp on a different level about the grace of God. Mm. And, 
And that was really huge for me. Um, and so he just showed me, you know, my mercies are new every morning. It, mm. it really has been, right, a day-to-day thing that today might have been a good day. And no, no longer is it about because you can revel in your pride, Alina. Today has been a good day because of my grace and because I've mm. blessed you. And tomorrow my ner- mercies will be with you. And if tomorrow's a really rough day and you hit some pretty low points and seeing your own sin or just some really like the kids are crazy or feel out of control or the house is a disaster, his mercy is still there and it's still going to be there for the next morning and the morning after. And it just becomes a very freeing thing to live as we are before him and, mm. and know that we are loved regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And how have you, okay. In, in light of that, I mean, I think that what you're, you're saying is it, it helps us to s- remember who he actually is mm-hmm. and sometimes what what we want is to show ourselves but what, what i want i know is is to be more impressive mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh the lord's like no i i want to show you how how much glory emanates from me uh, to see his beauty to be left in awe by him um yeah and any any just other thoughts about what you've seen in god this year, uh, learned about who he is or his nature through this? Uh, well, one thing that I really appreciate is uh, the current series that we're going through on the church. Mm. And I think one of the things, well, you know, going back a bit, when I left uh, ministry and I was, even though I was, you know, in ministry, I was very alone. I felt very alone. And so when I came to Cornerstone, uh, something that that was very um, that impacted me was just having fellowship with other people, especially other men. And so, uh, one of the things that we uh, did during the pandemic is uh, the men in our our community group continued to meet initially online, and then also in person. We had other gatherings, but for for me, that was very meaningful. Uh, a lot of the fears, a lot of the struggles, a lot of things that I need to process. I need to process with the church, with people in the church. So I think for me, it's just a deeper affirmation of why the church is so important. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for me, uh, one big thing I have learned this year has been about uh, living before God with greater humility and not just in in what I was just talking about with regards to uh, re, you know relying more heavily on my own sense of performance or what have you, but uh, in terms of our mortality actually, because you know as a nurse, we were amongst the first people to get uh, to get the vaccine mm-hmm. and um, there was a lot of immense gratitude and a lot of relief that came with that for sure. But I remember driving home from, so up in Hollywood is where my hospital is. And I'm driving home uh, after getting the vaccine and drivers are kind of all over the place on the freeway. And I just had this moment of realizing that vaccine is a gift and a blessing for this 
one virus mm-hmm. for a bad virus, a mm-hmm. terrible virus yeah. that, you know, we need and want this vaccine for. But it's a vaccine for one virus. And I could get into a car accident right now. Mm-hmm. I am still just as mortal as I was before I got this vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... um it made me think of James 4 when it talks about, you know, all the plans that we make for the next year or two, or, you know, I'm going to do this or that. I'm going to go shopping here or there. I'm going to invest in this and that. And it's not not about it being wrong to make plans, but just that spirit of presumption of, um, I know what my life is going to look like. Mm. Like, I've got it under control. I've got things I'm going to do. And instead saying, if the Lord wills. And I, I, I think it just struck me that this vaccine is not for me to move from my vulnerability that I felt um, being on the front lines, you know, with this virus. Um, it's not for me to go back to being presumptuous again about my life that, mm. well, now I'm in control again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm, we're good. But just being confronted with our mortality means it's it's only scary if we don't have the gospel. Mm. But when we have the gospel, we can live with hope and humility of anything could happen. And if the Lord wills, then whatever is before me in my life here on earth, it's got to be about him. It's no longer about me. Mm. Um, and so I've, yeah, thinking a lot of, especially as we're kind of turning kind of making turns out of this pandemic a little bit and Mm -hmm. our understandable rush and desire to get back to a sense of normalcy that I hope we don't lose our humility that we learned from this year and that we remember um, we're not the ones in control. (laughs) Yeah. If the Lord wills. Mm. That's such a good reminder. That's such a good reminder. So before we wrap up, um, I've, one question I didn't prepare, I didn't ask this question ahead of time. So we, and we can, we can keep it in or take it out as <laughs> if if you will. But um, I feel a desire to ask in, in light of just the headlines of the last week, the last few weeks, whether it's the situation in Atlanta or just the recognition of the rise of um, both crime and um, hate crime against Asian Americans in our country broadly um, and even in our city. Um, as you read that, as you hear that, as you see this, you know, kind of the media spotlight that kind of goes wherever it wishes, but for a number of reasons has focused on this uh, and particularly so only heightened by the tragedy in Atlanta um, when you, I said tragedy and I feel like it's even like an understatement mm-hmm. in light of that and the talk in this moment, it, is there anything as, as somebody who hasn't experienced those same things to know just as a brother in Christ, mm-hmm. um, or our church family to know that's made up of, you know, people from all sorts of different backgrounds, some of which share your experiences and some of which don't. Um, I don't know. Is there anything that you would want me to 
to know, or is that a strange question? Mm. I think that's a great question. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, something that we're seeing more of, which is needed, is is people need to give voice to this issue. Mm. So I'm glad you bring it up. Mm. I am older. My parents, my dad was a veteran in the 442nd, which is, you know, a decorated Japanese-American military group. And, uh, you know, my parents were sent to concentration, or my, my grandparents were sent to concentration camps. They thought my grandfather was a spy. And, and so there's a lot of, a lot of hurt that exists in our family. Mm. And throughout my entire life, my parents never talked about it. And it wasn't until like the 80s, about the 80s, that people started to share some of their struggles. And for a lot of people, it wasn't just them. It was just their kids saying, you know, you got to give voice to this. Mm. And I say that because one of the things about Asian Americans, Asians, is that culturally, you know, we're, we're taught not to be, express our feelings, not to to speak out. And to see this going on, um, I'm, I'm just—we need to give voice to it. And I'm glad more people are speaking up. Mm. But I feel like more needs to be done in that area. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. do you see a lack of appreciation for that, or even recognition of that, even in the context of the church? Mm-hmm. Um. Yes. And it's hard because, you know, we have a multicultural church and not just our church, but uh, there are a lot of important issues. And it's hard to wrap that up in just, you know, sermons or real. Totally. It takes a lot of work to unpack something like that. Mm. So I think the church is doing the best job they can, but it's, it's, it's so much, it's, it's enormous. Yeah. I hear you saying that there's still stories that need to be told. Yes. There's still uh, perspectives that aren't aren't understood, and you're not, uh, you know, demonizing anybody for that, but you are saying, no, there is, there are things there, both even an understanding of experience and maybe even what I hear you say is like a misassumptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, made because of a lack of understanding or, or, or just a knowledge of those stories, or, or whether they're the big ones or even the the smaller discriminations and 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 hurts along the way. Is is that? Did, did I reframe what you what you said? Yeah, am, I, am I hearing it good. right? That's good. Okay. I think uh, naturally you want to celebrate differences, mm-hmm. but I think it's a lot harder to understand. Uh, the pains that that exist with differences too. Mm. I, I, wow, I really appreciate you putting those two side by side because I think mm. I got part of celebration. Even what I'm coming to learn, right, is is uh, celebration is like a, a fuller knowledge, right? Celebration isn't just mm. celebrating of uh, differences of gifts and of you know food and uh, although it is all of that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and the diversity of that, but it's also it, 
to be a manifest a manifestation of genuine love, it also involves seeking to know one another and understand those differences more deeply than I I, I know I'm tempted to uh, assume I know uh, or assume our experiences are more similar than um, than they really are. Yeah, I think also, you know, Steve referenced this a bit that Asian Americans are taught to just kind of kind of keep it pretty low key, but I think uh, digging a little deeper in that, like we a lot of the Asian cultures are these shame-based cultures, mm. which uh means that I think we we feel and experience shame in a uh I think sometimes accentuated ways, but on the flip side of that, we're also taught a lot of times to not confront other people because it it could make them feel ashamed. Mm. Um, and so when we do feel injustice, I think there is this cultural, well, I shouldn't be calling people out on that because it brings shame upon them. Mm. And it's a, you know, if you look at that through a biblical lens, that's not... That's not what real humility is, mm. right? Um, but I think sometimes even in like an Asian church context, it gets confounded a bit. Mm. And a lot of Asian Christians can sort of bring the two together and think, well, the most loving thing for me to do when I experience injustice is just to not say a thing. And there were times when when Jesus kept his mouth shut and mm. bore really hard things, but there are other biblical examples when in humility and in righteousness, you know, mm. people spoke up against injustice. And so I think that's a real tricky fine line for Asian Americans to, and Asian American Christians to navigate sometimes. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've been talking for for like almost fifty minutes. I have so many questions. Uh, and, and I think there's so much more there, mm -hmm. right, to talk about. And I really appreciate your perspective. I really appreciate you, um, yeah, even just sharing that, that that snippet of those perspectives. That even like maybe for some people who don't fully appreciate the the difficulty or tensions or the complicated dynamics of that, like even just cracks the door open a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, th this is something I've we've wanted to talk more about generally. And so we'll, we'll get another opportunity to, to do that. But particularly given just kind of the moment we're in, I didn't want to let it pass without, mm -hmm. without asking. And so thanks for, yeah, uh, th there's so much there. Thank you so much yeah. for that. Um, and any last thoughts or encouragements you mm -hmm. would want to just uh, having the opportunity to speak with kind of our church family broadly in this context, any thoughts or encouragements you'd want to leave with them? Um, I just want to recognize that, you know, even with a lot of the hope that, thank God, is uh, coming with um, the pandemic starting to get a bit better and vaccines being here and all of that, I just want to recognize that um, people are still very, very tired. Mm -hmm. And I feel sometimes it can be a little disorienting um, to feel like, we feel like we're on this upswing, but we still feel so tired. <laughs> mm. And um, I think as we're thinking about how to continue caring for each other and, you know, embrace like 
sort of the changes that come with kind of reopening society and everything, um, what I just keep thinking upon is that, and this goes for me personally because of my struggles and lessons this year, but I think as I listen to people and where they are still now, that the same God who tells us, go and feed my sheep, is also the same one who says, I am your shepherd, and I make you lie down in green pastures, and mm. I restore your soul. And that it's both and, that we do go um, looking to re-engage society more and care for people who continue to be hurting, um, but that he continues to also invite us to rest and be restored in him. Mm. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's an important reminder, both always, but also particularly right now, mm. right? I think there's, uh, I can tend to forget that, right? That there's opportunities, but there's also a, a continued grace and mercy that and patience that we ought to be showing others and also remembering that God is showing to us I was going to say that we should also show ourselves, but that's not exactly it. It's not, I don't need to show myself patience. I need to remember that God is showing me patience. It's not just me kind of coming up with it in my mind. God is patient and gentle and kind and knows uh, where each one of us are at as we walk into this new season with all of its unique complexities and all of our different roles and places, whether that be a hospital, a health department, uh, a home with little kids, <laughs> or anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So th thank you so much, both of you, for opening up just your lives, uh, reflecting with us for over the last year and over God's goodness and the reality of the difficulty and pain as well. Um, it means a lot. I'm super thankful for your friendship and for the ways that the Lord continues to, to work in you and work through you in our city and in our church family. So thanks so much for the time. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for listening. We will see you on Sunday.